November is a month where we remember to be grateful, and I'm super grateful that we always have First Saturday Lime on hand to help keep our barns and coops fresh between cleanings, especially since the holiday season is upon us and it can be tough to stay on top of it at this time of year. You just sprinkle a little around like it's holiday cheer and it helps keep the stink down and the bugs out. You can also use First Saturday Lime to create a barrier around your home, your boots, and your firewood to keep unwanted bugs away. And it can be used in water tanks to balance out the pH and prevent algae growth. With so many uses, you really can't go wrong using this safe organic lime. Go to firstsaturdaylime.com and use code DRINK at checkout to get 20% off and free shipping. Hey, Sam. Oh, hey, Bev. What you drinking over there? I just opened... Oh, shit. I meant to look up how to pronounce this. (laughs) That is a really weird beer name. (laughs) It is, right? Yeah. (laughs) I think it's Trogues. It's T-R-O with the two little dots above the O, E-G-S. And it is a cranberry blood orange tart ale. Ooh. And I picked the cranberry because, as you know, I've been trying to be seasonal with my beers. <laughs> and I went to Jungle Gyms yesterday, and it turns out that there is just not a pumpkin beer to be found. Oh, no. Did all the basic bitches drink it all? <laughs> I have no idea, but I saw this strange uh, video on Facebook the other day. I'm not going to name the brewer, but they posted this video about like how pumpkin beer tastes like shit and that's why they don't make it. Uh-uh. And I saw it and I was like, well, but I like the way pumpkin beer tastes. And yeah. I don't know, maybe pumpkin beer isn't as popular as it used to be. But I have noticed that it has been really hard for me to find this year. And I don't remember it being that difficult last year or the year before that. So I don't know if something's changed or just like it's cool to hate pumpkin beer. So now nobody will buy it. So now nobody brews it anymore. I don't know. But I was super annoyed by this video because I was kind of like, well, just because you think it tastes like shit doesn't mean other people think it tastes like shit. And I think it's very beer snobby of you to say, like, you shouldn't make something just because. Yeah you don't like it personally like i'm your customer and i like it (laughs) rant over you tell him bev you tell him my feelings were so hurt (laughs) so what are you drinking over there so i am back on the canned wine wagon and today i am drinking this dainty little can of the great oregon wine company um it's called little rascal it's got a little doggy on it, and it's a Pinot Noir. And they're actually proud supporters of the Humane Society of the United States. So oh. I thought that was kind of cute, and yeah. I like it. And I'm drinking it out of one of our camping cups from our drinkingfarmmerch.com merch shop. Um, the one that's got our newer logo on it that says Give Zero Clucks. So it's like the perfect size for this dainty little can of wine. 
That's awesome. I'm drinking my beer out of one of our cups, too. (laughs) Look at us. We're just a product of the product. (laughs) We are. I'm I'm using the shatterproof uh, wine tumbler with the blue Give Zero Clucks on it. My um, pinkish colored uh, beer looks very pretty in it. (laughs) Oh, I love it. And welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for your ears. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and the new knowledge we gained that we hope can apply to our audience of both small and large-scale farmers to help everyone feel like they're not so alone in this farm thing. And sometimes we go off on tangents that are non-farming related, but we cut a lot of those and stick them up on our Patreon. And this episode's outtakes are exclusively for our Patreon peeps. So if you don't know what that is, you can go check it out by going to patreon.com slash drinkandfarm. And starting at the $2 a month level, you're able to check out some exclusive recordings and some pictures. Um, So if you're interested in that, go check it out. And speaking of the Patreon, our drinks this episode were sponsored by Ashley Kiernan. So cheers, lady. Cheers. So we got some follow-up this week. I saw that. Yes. So I'll go first. Um, Maya finally had her baby goats. Yay! Yay! And she decided to do it on Halloween, which was a horribly miserable weather night. (laughs) It was. (laughs) It was so cold. It was like sleeting, freezing crap. Um, But luckily for us, like, our barn isn't too drafty or anything. We had the little space shuttle-looking thing that we used for the babies before in February when it was super cold, ready to go. Um, So I just had to really help dry them off so they wouldn't be cold. But um, the labor was a little different this time. And for, like, a hot minute, I thought I'd have to, like, glove up and get in there. But... (laughs) I just kind of let Maya do her thing because she had only been pushing for like, you know, 10 minutes, which they say as long as it's like not more than a half hour, generally they're fine. Um, and the, the bubble sack thing came out first and last time a baby came out and then that came out and then two more babies came out. So I think it was like in the right order this time. (laughs) And that's why it looked different to me. (laughs) Um, But she did her thing. She did an amazing job. I didn't have to help her outside of just, like, I helped her by, like, grabbing the babies and kind of um, wiping their noses off so I could make sure they were breathing right away and then putting them in front of her so she could clean them. Um, But she's such a good mama, and I feel so lucky that we had another easy labor with healthy babies. And the only downfall was that it's three baby boys again. Oh, no. All boys. (laughs) Again, and like I didn't check right away. I waited until they were mostly dry, and we did the umbilical cord snipping. And I felt tiny little dongers on all three of them, and I was just so sad. <laughs> but it's okay because they're all healthy. And I I just pointed at them and went, "Freddie, Jason, Michael, we'll call it a day with the Halloween names." <laughs> right. <laughs> So if you're interest, if you're kind of local to the Michigan area and you're looking for some cute baby boys or weathers, hit me up on the Instagram um, because I will not be keeping all of these. I might keep one. I might not. 
Um, but that's just way too many boys to have on the farm, even if they are fixed. <laughs> right. I mean, well, cause like, so I love mini Coop. He is like the greatest thing on the planet, but at the same time, like he costs money and energy, you know, mm-hmm. to like take care of. And I'm, and I'm trying to farm sort of, and I've kind of accidentally turned myself into a petting zoo around here lately. <laughs> I mean, same. So you know. I can see same. why you're like, no, some of them have to go. Because, like, I love having pets, but I can only have so many pets. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely want, if I do keep one, he will be fixed. Because the two boys that we do have, I think Matt's starting to really see that we need a separate area for them because when any of the girls are in heat, even with their little goat aprons, like they're just obnoxious. Like they're all up in the girl's business. They're blubbering all over them. Like the hormones are next level. Um, Yeah. But I do love our weathers a lot though. And if I could keep all three of them, like if we had the space... I probably would, but my husband might divorce me. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I had the space and unlimited feeding funds mm, and all mm-hmm. the time in the world to clip hooves and, you know, like do all the health checks and stuff, because yeah. that's another part of it. Like yep. every animal that you add adds just a little bit more work mm-hmm. and it eventually kind of starts to snowball. <laughs> yes, it does. And if I want to think about my long term farm goals of having alpacas someday like I have to have room for them (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly well I'm glad that they're all healthy and I mean what are the odds that gosh you've had seven baby goats born on your farm right yes and only one has been a girl yep that is insane wait I've had eight oh you've had eight and a girl and only one's been a girl oh my gosh Yep. And of course, that one came out of Diana and she's got the spur teats. Yeah, so that's it's not right. one that I want to breed again. Like if it yep. happens, it's not the end of the world. But it's not one that it's not like breeding Maya where I know I'm going to get really good goats out of her. And she's just an excellent mommy. And I don't have to worry about like suction or anything from her udder. So yeah. it's just like a different mindset going into it. But yeah. Yeah, now we know Maya. Yeah, last time she went really quick, couldn't feel ligaments. Twelve hours later, this time she pulled a Diana and was in her stall for about three weeks, and then decided to give it a go. <laughs> but luckily, I was here for it. That's good. <laughs> oh goats! Oh goats! They're so damn cute, though. Ugh, you they can't be are. mad when they're around, right? Well, we also got some follow-up from at maple.ridge.farm over on the Instagram, and she shared something with us that was in response to episode 83, which is some birds are just (laughs) a-holes. And in that episode, we read a farm story about a chicken coop that blew away in really strong wind. So here is what she said. She said, I just listened to this episode and I was thinking about the farm story and wanted to recommend ground anchors for anyone building a non-super heavy shelter for their animals that doesn't have buried posts. You can get really sturdy ones at most farm stores for pretty cheap, and the only thing that sticks up out of the ground is a small eye bolt-like hoop for rope or cable. They're super secure and small, easy, and inconspicuous. Just thought I'd share in case anyone was wondering what would be a really effective tool for securing buildings. So thanks for that, Maple Ridge Farm. I knew that those things existed, but didn't think to recommend them. So yeah, super helpful. Thank you for that. Yes. 
So we have one more piece of follow-up in episode 84, Big Kid Job Plus Farm Life. Uh, Sam and I discuss how to plan projects on your farm in a way that helps you complete them and reduce the surprises and stress that you have. And we made something super special for you guys. Yeah. So to complement the episode, we designed a handy-dandy PDF to help you plan your projects. So Bev actually had planned a few projects using it and... Um, what did you think of it? Like when you were using it, did you find it helpful? Did you find that it slowed you down? How, cause I haven't used it personally yet. So I did find it surprisingly helpful and Good. there are a couple of tweaks that I think we need to make to it, but I think that, you know, using something is how you kind of discover those things. But yeah, I've got the Coop Dreams block integrated into our chicken coop like thanks to that handy dandy checklist and I have four more projects that I've plotted out using it (laughs) and so what I'm doing is I stuck them in a notebook and they each you know like have their check boxes for it and I feel a little less overwhelmed because I can just do bits and pieces of each project as I have a chance to do it so it's not just like stuck in my brain I'm actually like completing the steps you know like buying the things or counting to see what I have or, you know, like as examples. So yeah, I found it pretty useful. That's good. I'm just continuing to plan things in my brain like I always have, which is kind of my fatal flaw, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for those that want to get over that fatal flaw, if they have it, (laughs) the PDF is available. And there's a link in the show notes that you can go to uh, to download it. Like I said, it's just the rough draft right now, and we'll be updating it as, you know, like we take feedback and kind of tweak it. Eventually, we'll get a final version of it. But if you download it now and you've got any feedback on it for us, you can send us that feedback over at drinkandfarm at gmail.com or, you know, send us a message on Instagram or whatever. Yes, yes. Oh, so I got my Henny and Rue farm box. Ooh, and what do you think? So I thought it was amazing. And part of that is because, I don't know if you know this, but I'm decoratively impaired. (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) So, like, I'll go to one of those stores, like World Market or, I don't know. I can't think of another one off the top of my head. Like Pier 1 or... Yeah, exactly. Any of those fancy stores. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll look at all the stuff and I have a really hard time picking out things that go together without being matchy matchy. Mm. Like when I put together a room from scratch by myself, I tend to just like match everything. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, it's the easiest way to do it. But if you like watch any HGTV shows, that's not technically the approach they take. They have like a theme, but it's, a little different so yeah I can I can say that I can dream it up in my head but I never go out and fully execute it because I mean we've lived in this house for almost three years and my walls are still pretty bare aside from the like wine holders <laughs> same <laughs> yeah yeah So uh, what I really liked about it was that everything did have a theme and it all went together without being matchy matchy. And I've actually already put everything up that I got in it. Nice. So I was really excited about that. Yeah, I'm looking at my macrame wall hanging right now. I hung it up in my bedroom on a chunk of, uh, 
like a cherry tree branch. We have a cherry tree that died. So I just lopped a branch off of it and tied the mm-hmm. macrame thing to it and slapped it up on the wall. And it looks amazing. <laughs> Look at you now, a regular Joanna Gaines over there. <laughs> right. I should make my own Pinterest account. There you go. <laughs> Uh, inside the box, we also got a handmade grateful shelf sitter. So it's, you know, like a block of wood and it says grateful on it and really pretty lettering. Uh, and that was actually made by someone named Alexa Attic on Etsy. So that was oh. a handmade item. Nice. There was a set of autumn themed thank you cards, which I did not hang on the wall, but I'm hanging on to so that I can <laughs> <laughs> send thank you cards to people because it's always good to be grateful, especially in November. A lovely plush Chanel pumpkin decoration. There was also a Honey and Rue brand clean burning soy candle, and the scent mm. is sandalwood. Oh, it smells so good. And I don't like like fake scents. They tend to give me a headache, but I burned this right away because I was tempted. I was like, I wanted to see, like, is this going to be one of those things that gives me a headache, or am I going to really like it? And I really liked it. And there was also a rustic wood slice uh, that came in it, and the pumpkin, the little sign, and the candle all fit on it really nicely. So you can show off your fun little arrangement that goes together and put it on a surface in your house. And the total retail price of the box is $110, but she is selling the box for $79 plus shipping. And if you're a current Henny and Rue subscriber, you can get 10% off of the box, and there's not very many left. So... If anybody wants one, I'd go get it now. And also, if you don't subscribe to Henny and Rue, but you want to, uh, you can do that over at hennyandrue.com. Become a subscriber using our code, which is Drink and Farm. And then once you become a subscriber, you get 10% off of the farmhouse box also. So that sounded kind of complicated, but it's not, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) The end. The end. The holiday season is upon us, and it's super easy to forget the basic things, like making sure your hens and roos have their grublies on tap for their grublies happy hours, and they're not about to run out. But Grubly Farms has you covered. They have a subscription program that allows you to have full control on when you schedule your refills, and you save 10% every time. They always ship free, and if you need to skip or cancel, you can do that too, quickly and easily. This means that you won't ever have to worry about running out of these USA farm-grown oven-dried chicken snacks that give your chickens an extra boost of calcium and protein to get them through their molt and promote stronger eggshells. The FDA has actually approved Grubblies as a healthy feed ingredient. Order your chickens, the official chicken snack of the We Drink and We Farm Things podcast by going to grubblyfarms.com. Trust us, your chickens will be clucking about how thankful they are for Grubblies. And you can use code FARM15 to get 15% off your first order. And if you opt for the subscription option, you can use the code to get 15% off of the first order, and then the next subscription orders will be 10% off. Okay, so now we get to dive into our uh, episode topic. Hip, hip, hooray! So, winter is coming. Yes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And if you have any new animals on your farm, you might be asking yourself, what on earth does this creature need to stay comfortable as the temperature drops and the snow flies? Or at least that's what I'm asking myself, because I do have a new creature on my farm. It is Herc the Donk. Yes, the majestic donkey unicorn being that he is. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
So uh, a post that at Wild Oaks Farms did on Instagram about her new horse, Zazu, and whether or not she was going to blanket him or not kind of got me thinking like, wait, does Herc need a blanket? I guess I just realized I don't know anything about taking care of a donkey in the winter. He looks pretty hardy. So I think I wasn't really like planning for him. Because I was like, oh, yeah, he's a big, giant, fluffy unicorn type thing. He's going to be totally <laughs> fine. I don't have to worry about it. But her post got me wondering, like, well, maybe I should go ahead and do some research on this. Because, you know, we like to research things here on We Drink and We Farm Things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'm going to find out what donkey's coats are made out of. Because, you know, last year around this time, we talked about what goats' undercoats were made out of. And we found out that they have this really nice, like, bougie cashmere lining underneath all of their fur. And that's what keeps them warm in the winter. So I was like, do donkeys grow that as well? Let's find out. And while I was researching it, it turns out I could not find that information. So I'm not totally done researching that. But I did come across a controversy over a study that was recently done that set out to determine whether or not donkeys needed to be blanketed in the wintertime. And while I was reading through it, I was like, this is a way more fun topic. Let's talk about this first. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of the information we're going to discuss today was pulled from besthorsepractices.com. And there will be a link to the article in the show notes that we're going to talk about. And then there was a study that was published in the Equine Veterinary Journal. And we'll link to that study in the show notes as well, since those are the two things that we're going to talk about. And the study that was done and published in Equine Veterinary Journal led one publication to write an article titled, Donkeys Need Added Protection in Cold Climates. And the basic takeaway from this research was that donkeys' hair coats hardly change across seasons, meaning that they aren't as well equipped to deal with cold weather as horses. And they say, don't be deceased by the amount of fluff they have. It's not as insulating as the winter coats of a horse. So it was like, oh shit, Herc needs a blanket. (laughs) Herc needs a cape. Herc needs a Superman cape. Yes. (laughs) Super Herc. To the rescue. (laughs) But, you know, I calmed down for a second and I was like, well, let's look into this just a little further. I'm sure that there's a little more to this. And it turns out there is because there always is. Always. Yep. Always. (laughs) And that's why we're here. (laughs) Exactly. So this group best horse practices. They wrote an article sort of in response to this uh, journal paper that was published. And Anne Firestone, which runs a rescue called Save Your Ass Long Ears Rescue, which I just love the name of. So good. (laughs) She wrote that for decades, she's taken in rehabilitated and rehomed hundreds of donkeys and mules during her tenure as the president. And she wrote that in her experience, I only blanket exceptionally thin or ill donkeys. I do make sure that on cold days, they have free choice of hay 24-7. So I'm like, huh, this lady is a donkey expert and she doesn't blanket. And she says that not taken into the study's consideration were many donkey versus mule versus horse distinctions that we know to be important anecdotally. And for instance, she wants to know, like, what is their varying what metabolic rate? Because your metabolic rate, you know, depends on 
how you create heat in your body from what you eat. And she wants to know what the volume to surface area ratio is and what their digestion differences is. So she looked at the study and she's like, hold on, I have more questions. I want to know more. (laughs) And another person, or I guess doctor, she's Dr. Cheryl King. And she is a Best Horse Practices Summit trustee and a professor emeritus of Southern Illinois University. She wrote, this study reports what should be considered preliminary results comparing measures of hair coat between equine species. The experimental number of animals in each test group was low, and the unspecified breeds limit the data's usefulness, utility for drawing management recommendations. And she also has a little bit more a critique about it. She says that the lead uh, researcher, she is an expert in the field of psychology, and the study obviously isn't psychology related. (laughs) So she kind of thinks that this wasn't really in that person's wheelhouse, which is fair. She didn't like ask the donkey how she was feeling about wearing a coat or not, or the donkey's (laughs) well-being of wearing a coat or not, and if the donkey thought it was fashionable. To be wearing said coat. Apparently. I feel like that could have been really valuable information to have, you know, in that study as well. Especially if that's your focus. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And she also pointed out that the research was funded by an organization called the Donkey Sanctuary, which is a humane group dedicated to the rescue and protection of donkeys. And the donkeys that were used in this study uh, were part of the group's rescue herd. So it's unknown whether or not those factors affected the study's results because, Mm. you know, they're rescue donkeys. So not that there's anything necessarily like inherently wrong with rescue animals, but it's not like going to a place that breeds specific animals and using them as, you know, like your control or your source animal. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it kind of ties back up to the previous person's comments of she only blankets donkeys if they're ill or thin. Mm -hmm. It could be in the same spot if they didn't like come out and say exactly like the condition of the donkeys that were in the study. So that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, animals that end up in a rescue at first, sometimes they can be in some pretty horrendous shape depending on what was going on at the home that they came from. Right. So uh, I did want to point out, though, and they don't mention this in the article, but I found this information on my own, that that Donkey Sanctuary, their website actually specifically states that they don't recommend blanketing healthy donkeys because they believe that donkeys grow an adequate winter coat for where they're located at in the UK. So this article sort of missed that information. So I wanted to point that out. I don't think that this study was intentionally done in a biased way right? to promote anything that the rescue had. Right. It's just not maybe comprehensive enough to make a bold statement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there were some suppositions that this uh, study made that they list out in the article. And one of them is that domestic donkeys descended from Equus Africanus Africanus, which are Nubian wild asses. That's really fun to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or Equus Africanus Somalinensis. Sounds like you're like casting a Harry Potter spell. <laughs> it does. Why am I not waving a wand while I, I am saying know. this? Maybe you'll, more donkeys will appear. 
like, oh, God, that would be great. (laughs) Those are Somali wild asses. Uh, These ancestors evolved in a hot desert climate as opposed to many of the domestic horse breeds that are common to the UK um, that presumably evolved in a more temperate climate. So essentially, like, you know, where the donkey's ancestors came from matters. And they also point out that contemporary donkeys have changed very little during the lengthy process of domestication. So what the researchers compared in the study was the weight, length, and width of the hair coat of donkeys with those of horses, ponies, and mules because they were trying to determine if there was a difference in the winter hair coat adaptation between the species or subspecies in some cases. Hmm. But the comparison groups that they used were ill-defined or haphazardly selected. So, for example, the description of the donkeys used in the study was restricted to gender and age, but horses and ponies that were used in the study were described as cold-blooded breeds, horses specifically adapted to cooler climate, and one could argue that in order to make the best comparison between horses and donkeys, bloodlines originating from similar climates should be compared. So, for example, compare the donkey of African origin to the Arabian or Turkmen horse or even breeds originating in the Mediterranean climate. So, like in layman's terms, take donkeys and horses and mules that were adapted from similar regions and compare them. Like, mm. don't take a horse that came from you know greenland (laughs) and compare it to a donkey that originated in africa (laughs) right yeah you're gonna find a difference there just because of where that species adapted from and uh some additional questions that this group uh, thinks that the researchers should have considered were what was the latitude at which the study was conducted And what were the average high and low temperatures during the summer and winter? So they didn't publish that information. And they also wanted to know if the animals that were in the study were housed close enough to each other that environmental conditions would be essentially the same. So the researchers did not say whether or not they sampled animals that all came from the same farm or region. Mm. This seems like a really weak study. The more you're talking about it and the more I think about other studies that we've looked into on the podcast. Yeah. Especially like that um, zombie farm one that we talked about. Like it was so like explicit on how what they were doing and how they were doing it and the equipment they were using and all the variables that this just sounds like weak sauce. Well, and part of me is wondering, well, I guess they did say it was published. So I was wondering if, you know, maybe it was one of those, you know, like, I'm doing a study on this, but they don't, like, follow all of the scientific methods because they aren't actually planning on publishing their results. But I forgot it said that this was published. So yeah, that's know, not the Tabloids case. are also published. So there's that. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I, I acknowledge that that is very different, but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> And uh, this group would also like to know if the hair sampling performed during was performed during the same time frame. So in the study, they mention only that they were pulled in the same month, but that gives a possibility of up to a 31 day variance on when the hair samples were collected. And like, as we know, there's a big difference between the temperature on November 1st and November 30th. Yeah. So. Right. Fair criticism. 
So basically, the study concluded that there was a very substantial variation in hair coat measures, particularly within the horse pony group, and less so within the donkey group, which suggests a great diversity in seasonal responses within and not just between groups. The mule group consistently fell between the donkey and the horse pony groups, which makes sense because a mule is a mix between a horse and a donkey. And we're led to assume, which, you know, isn't a great thing. We shouldn't be assuming things mm-hmm. about scientific studies. All of the information should be clear. <laughs> that these mules were crosses between the donkey types and horse pony types used in the study. Because that matters, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So many variables. I would take issue with their conclusions that donkeys do not grow a winter coat because I think a more appropriate way of expressing the data is that donkeys do not grow a winter coat like cold-blooded horses, or that donkeys don't grow the same kind of winter coat. Fair enough. Considering the temperatures and conditions for wild burrow populations in the American West, and the fact that they are thriving, I suspect that the humane issue of hair coat growth in winter is probably not as critical as other factors, such as adequate fat covering going into winter, food, and water availability, and windbreak. So after reading all of that and doing some crop referencing, I decided that as long as Herc has access to a dry, draft-free shelter, because I did learn that donkeys' coats don't shed water like some other animals do. Oh. Yeah, you know how they kind of, like, some animals have sort of like a almost a waterproof protectant like chickens you know the water just like runs right off their top feathers and their floof all stays dry on the inside that's not Mm -hmm. the case with donkeys Um, and that he has access to forage which in my case it's going to be a mix of hay and straw because donkeys eat straw too did you know that yeah so do my goats weirdos (laughs) that's true (laughs) i've seen my goats eat straw too i don't intentionally feed them straw but they'll eat it (laughs) and eat like fresh straw after you clean out yeah they're just like what is this it doesn't smell like me yet (laughs) let me fix that (laughs) and as long as he remains healthy with a good body condition i'm not going to blanket And um, I did learn that in some cases, blanketing can cause more harm than good from a really great blog post that was posted by The Dancing Donkey, which we'll link to that in the show notes as well. And she says in her post that the decision to blanket should never be made lightly. It's a significant commitment in time, energy, and money, and you will likely need more than one blanket of varying weights for each animal. And that blankets have to fit properly, be kept clean, and checked daily. And good grooming and hygiene are imperative to prevent skin irritation. When I looked into how to blanket a horse or a donkey, you're supposed to remove it every day and brush the animal and make sure that the blanket is still dry and clean and then put it back on. (laughs) So it's like bathing a child. Pretty much. <laughs> yes. And if there's been rain, because, you know, like Herc, even though he's not waterproof, he still goes and hangs out in the rain anyways. If he was wearing a blanket and went out in like sleeting snow or freezing rain, mm-hmm. all of that would soak into the blanket and then he would be colder than if yeah. he had just not had a blanket on. So, yeah, I thought all of that was kind of interesting and yeah. I learned something new so it kind of sounds like you might want to have a blanket on hand just in case but 
he might might be just fine. Yeah. And, you know, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of going ahead and just ordering a blanket. But if he does start to look like he's losing weight or he gets a little case of the sniffles or some sort of infection, because, you know, that can happen at any Mm -hmm. time, regardless of management practices, he'll want to go into a nice, dry, clean barn stall and he'll want to have a blanket on. (laughs) Yes. And now it's time for We Can't Even Corner. Yay! (laughs) So do you want to go for this this week or do you want me to go first? Ooh, I'll let you go first this week. Okay. We'll mix it up. All right. Let me see. So my can't even for this week is from an article from WLOX. Um, I actually heard this when we were driving home from my parents on Saturday. We listened to a local radio show called Dave and Chuck the Freak. And that is also not kid appropriate. I will just throw that out there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But they talked about this and I was like, oh my God, this is perfect for my can't even. So the headline is, man says psychotic cow nearly killed him. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. So I'll just go ahead and and breeze through this article. But basically, um, Greg Nolan is the guy that has been attacked. And this cow has actually attacked him twice. And the second attack led to a more than two-week hospital stay. And in spite of her almost killing him last month, uh, he still takes care of his cow. And her name is Belvia. Belvia, yeah. Well, I'd be mad if that was my name, too. Um, Right. (laughs) But he said she can be a little bit psychotic. And her aggressive behavior started after giving birth to her calf. And he says that she's turned into a lot meaner and more crazy animal. And in one attack, she cornered Nolan and headbutted him. And then nine weeks ago, she got even more vicious. And he says, when she got me down, she broke all of my ribs on this side of my body except for one. She basically punctured my ribs punctured my lungs, and destroyed my spleen. And he could not move. But thank oh God God. <laughs> his renter, Sabrina Smith, saw what was happening because he says that if she wouldn't have been there, he would have died. So Sabrina Smith says that the cow kept hitting him, headbutting him, and that she got this thing out from under him, and she took it and she beat the cow in the head as hard as she could, and she was holding up a cane. Um... And it's noted that Nolan spent two and a half weeks in the hospital, initially in the ICU, and he needed surgery. But despite the dangerous aggressions, Belvia is still here and cared for. And (laughs) Nolan said, you try to get in with her and she can hurt you really, really bad. See how she just tried to headbutt me just then? And she, he doesn't think that her demeanor is going to change, but he's going to keep her because he says she's a registered Bradford and he's invested a lot of money and energy into her. He actually bought her for his granddaughter and because it's a registered animal, it's of higher, higher quality. So they'll be using her um, as a heifer to breed Um, And she'll only be creating offspring to continue, like, showing her offspring at stock shows. So, yeah. I just, I don't know what I would do if (laughs) my really expensive animal tried to kill me. Um, But I don't know that I would just keep her. (laughs) Maybe I would. I don't know. But I just thought that was crazy that that cow broke almost all of his ribs on one side. 
and he's alive. Like it's it's a good reminder that these animals are even if you think they're your friend, like they're animals and they're powerful and you can tell when a, a mama animal is now a mama because they do get more protective. Um, so it's just a good reminder to be careful. Even though they're cute, they can break all your bones. That's insane. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm able to come to this conclusion so fast because I have kids here. And one of my reasons for my farm is that I want my kids to be able to enjoy it. If I had an animal that I truly thought could kill one of my kids or would kill one of my kids like that, I, I don't think I would keep it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. I mean, and that's not an easy decision to come to. No. I, you know, I've worked in rescue. So the idea of taking an animal and then giving it up just because it didn't work out is really hard. But I think that the more you're around animals, the more you can really tell the difference between an animal that just like really wants to kill you and is mm-hmm. just just needs a little more training and a little more investment of time from you right and it kind of sounds like this animal just really wants to kill him and maybe she'd be happier at another house yeah or maybe not (laughs) it's hard to say yeah like i'm not saying she should go to the slaughter by any means but maybe a different setup would make her happier or different humans in contact like it's hard to say (laughs) do you even want to burden somebody else with an animal that is geared up to do that that's That's a good point to other side of the coin like I don't know, maybe, you know, Bessie should just go to the meat processor. <laughs> but I can understand why he wouldn't want to if he invested a lot of money in her. Like, I get that, too. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's also sort of that, like, it feels like a little piece of sunk cost fallacy. Like, because he's invested money in her, he should continue to invest money mm-hmm. in her to get output. But, like... It would probably be more enjoyable for everyone if he had an animal to breed that didn't try to kill him every time she had a calf. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The whole story sounds crazy, but like, I don't know the guy or the calf. So I mean, I'm saying this from my comfy couch where I don't have a cow trying to kill me. (laughs) So please tell me you have something a little more uplifting this week. I do. I do have something more uplifting. (laughs) So it turns out that goats saved a presidential library from the California fires that we've been having. Oh, I love it. Right? So in May, the library hired the goats to clear flammable scrubs surrounding the complex as a preventative measure. And the goats ate the brush, creating a fire break that slowed the flames and gave firefighters extra time to react as the flames got closer to this library. So the library near Los Angeles was threatened by the Easy Fire, which was the latest in a spate of fires causing evacuations and power cuts across the state. Or it was the latest when this was written. Uh, I didn't write down when this was written, so there might be a more recent fire. But it was this. Uh, it was the Easy Fire, and the Caprine contractors included Vincent Van Goat, Selena Gomez, and Goatsart. <laughs> <laughs> God, I love goat names. Oh my gosh, those are so good. (laughs) They helped save exhibits, including an Air Force One jet and a piece of the Berlin Wall. And in the article, they said that they were told by one of the firefighters that they believed that the fire break made their job easier. 
And it turns out that the Getty Museum was also saved by the same herd of goats. And that herd of goats has 805 members and is growing due to demand for their services. Oh, my gosh. Dude, what are we doing at our big kid jobs? Why can't we do that? Like, have goats that just go and save important things. (laughs) Right? I mean, that would be super cool. Oh, and I forgot to mention that I got this uh, from the BBC. So it was not a dodo article like it normally is. (laughs) (laughs) So there's, you'll get stuff out there. Yes. And I did see that something similar posted by our friend Twain from Neutrina, but I didn't click and read it. So I'm glad that you used it as your can't even because I think I actually like bookmarked it and said, oh, I could use this as my can't even. So I'm glad one of us said it because... Oh, those goat names were just good enough to talk about. (laughs) Right. I remember Twain posting that, uh, but I didn't click on it either. So when I was trying to think of like, what's something that I've seen recently that just made me go, and I was like, that did, but I couldn't find it. So I just like Googled goats, save, library, fire. (laughs) (laughs) And it popped right up. I was like, ta-da. Isn't Google just like amazing? (laughs) (sighs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So we don't have any farm stories this week, Um, so make sure you send those to us. You can email this to us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com, and they don't have to be funny. We've gotten quite the variety um, the past couple weeks that we've really enjoyed reading, so just tell us your story. Let us know. Um, if you want to remain anonymous or if you're cool with us sharing your name or maybe your Instagram handle, we're happy to do either. Yeah. And be sure and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Every week we read one of your reviews and, uh, at the end of the month, we take all of those reviews that we've read, stick your name in a hat. And one of you lucky reviewers wins an awesome mug that Sam makes. And it's the greatest mug ever and will (laughs) never be in the shop. So it's super exclusive. And if you're going to leave us a review, make sure we know how to get a hold of you. So make sure you leave your Instagram handle or some way for us to contact you. Or when we announce it, if you win, you can always reach out to us and be like, hey, that's me. Um, And we'll get you hooked up. But this week's review is from KT Mo. And the title of the review is Amazeballs, which I really appreciate. (laughs) Me too. And the review starts by saying, I cannot explain how helpful Bev and Sam have been. From loading my brain with information and suggestions to helping me make decisions when loading my fridge with craft beer and wine. I look forward to every episode and even revisit old episodes from time to time. Keep it up, ladies. Thanks for helping us all know we aren't alone in this farming thing. And you're welcome, Katie Mo. We appreciate your review so much. Yes, we do. So we've got just a couple pieces of housekeeping and announcements. Be sure and hit the subscribe button and download the episode when you listen, because this helps more people like you find the podcast. And do us a favor and share this episode over on Instagram in your stories and make sure you tag at Drink and Farm. We will send you a promo code just um, just for that episode and it'll give you a percentage off in our shop. So, I mean, the holidays are super close 
and maybe you want to tell someone you want something from our shop and or maybe you want to gift something from our shop um so that's a good way to snag a promo code to you know lighten the load of your holiday shopping cost that's right and make it easy just buy your all your friends and family drink and farm stuff they won't be confused whatsoever (laughs) not at all no Make sure that you take a look at the show notes to find links to the articles we discussed today and a survey to tell us how we're doing all of our social media goodness and our merch shops. Yeah. So thanks for listening, guys. This was fun. I think this was one of our shorter episodes in a while, but that's okay. You know. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. We can be brief every now and then because apparently yeah. we don't know what minisode means. No. <laughs> all of our you know minisodes what, are as long as our episodes. <laughs> we aren't size queens. Size doesn't matter. That's right. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so drink. Farm. And, and give zero plugs. Bye, guys. Bye. We drink things, we farm things, we drink